that's the ideal based on on you know what the superlatives so then uh, but then the way they are is uh, is like this they're not maybe right now isn't what it should be but it's like this and that what I feel right now maybe is not what I should feel if I were perfect bhikkhu but the way I feel right now is like this so it's not in, and in this way we we have that perspective on on the how, how the ideal the uh, uh, works in our minds rather than cling to it and and compare experience rea- reality of experience with an ideal we we recognize that the ideals are are very beautiful and it's how we kind of incline toward that you know we we but without grasping, because we have to accept and uh, and learn how to live and learn from the realities of the changing conditions. So this isn't an attack on idealism or diminishing the value of it, but it's putting it in a perspective that it w- that you know, like the it's like the guiding star. Uh, it gives you direction, but if you don't look where you are, you probably fall into the ditch. If you're only looking up at the guiding star and walking along, you might be going in the right direction, but you might fall off the cliff. <laughs> so you, <laughs> so you need, you need to know the direction, but you also need to know the realities of uh, the things around you, the way things are. So the idealism is not, you know, is, 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 the, is the direction toward the best, toward what is right, what is good, what is perfect, and uh, what is truthful. But then that we, we go in that direction. But in the, in the terms of meditation now, we're, we're, we're having to deal with the, the way it is at this moment. So let's say we're going in the right direction. So now, how to uh, how to um, uh, respond to the existing contingencies, the way things are, in terms of our body, mind, our habits, the and the world around us, which is not ideal. Can't be. So this is wisdom, isn't it? The banya developing or using wisdom in life. In uh, we're talking at tea time about you know how various teachers and that can teach uh, can teach very well, but their behavior isn't very good. That kind of thing, and, or <laughs> or um, you know the scandals that one reads about or hears about, uh, 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 idols falling off their pedestals and things like that, and uh, and the bewilderment of how could someone who teaches uh, such a perfect teaching uh, do the things that they've done? Uh, so this is the you know we. This is how the mind works. We we think that the the um, that the teacher is probably the ideal, <laughs> but the teachers, uh, you know, unless they're Buddhas, are not ideals. Uh, so the uh, the teacher that doesn't. That doesn't mean the teaching isn't any good, does it? It doesn't mean that the that the um, teaching is wrong. Uh, so this is where we we need to keep keep our direction straight, not to 
see the teacher as a direction, but what is the teacher pointing at? Either way, if the teacher is pointing at himself and say, follow me, I am, uh, take refuge in me, Ajahn Sumaita and that, then, then I'm taking you in the wrong direction, I'm pointing to the wrong thing. Because then I'm pointing to a condition that's changing. You know, so, so that uh, if you, if you're, uh, if you get caught into that one, then you 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 well, you'll be going in the wrong direction. So inevitably, the even uh, you know, if I should do that, and then I then I should uh, get hit by a car and die. Uh, you'd be very confused because you're going in the wrong direction, and uh, and and you haven't uh, and you have no direction anymore. So people become cynical and bitter and and. Uh, despairing. But in, if the teacher is, a, is a pointing in the right direction, meaning pointing at the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, pointing at, uh, you know, and, and encouraging us to look in that direction, to go in that direction, uh, then even if the teacher gets lost, you still have the direction clear, you know, so you learn not to be, to to get attached and dependent upon the teacher. So it is important to to see the the attachments we form and the hopes and how easily disappointed we can be and disillusion when we feel the teacher fails to live up to to uh, it doesn't isn't practicing what he or she is preaching. In terms of uh, of, uh, I, I always found it uh, a kind of joy in the realization that that I don't need to have opinions about other teachers or traditions, because in the in the grapevine world of of Buddhism, uh, Western Buddhism, there's always gossip about uh, various teachers and uh, various Buddhist groups or various religious sects and so forth and, and, uh, and everybody wants to know what I think about them. And, uh, and I used to have strong opinions too and I decided I don't need to have any opinions. You can form your own opinions. <laughs> because it's not up to me to pass judgment and I don't, I don't feel, feel uh, that I need to have one, have, a, have an opinion about somebody else. The thing is important to have, to, um, to keep aware of, of what you're actually thinking and feeling. So if I do have opinions, if I have strong emotions or feelings about others or other teachers or other religious groups or Buddhists or whatever, I'm more interested in observing that that opinion and the and the grasping of it, than in uh, following it and believing it, it's not like I, you know, I'm trying to duck out of uh, something or be irresponsible. But the, to me, the path is is always the the has the priority, the immediacy. And through gossip and hearsay and, and all that, you don't know all the conditions and, and all the things that affect somebody's behavior. You know, so it's easy to, to condemn somebody just through uh, hearing all the, the bad news about them. So sometimes, uh, you know, in the case of various teachers, uh, Ajahns, gurus, and so forth, who've who've maybe uh, made a mess of it in the end, uh, then the good things they've done also tend to be forgotten. The the last memory tends to be the one that everyone has. And so it it can be pretty uh, uh, hard-hearted, you know, to, to judge somebody by the mistakes they make.
You know, that's that's easy to do to to uh, to to make some kind of fixed judgment uh, about somebody through that maybe the the things they've messed up or done wrong. But we do when pe- when we do put our faith in somebody, we we have a trust in a teacher. Then, it is uh, you know it is something that you know that we can be very uh, because we make ourselves quite open, isn't it? When we when we put when we trust somebody and we we believe in them and we uh, we listen to them and we admire them. And so then, uh, when they, uh, we we do get, uh, we kind of open ourselves to them. We can, we can kind of give ourselves to them, and we, we won't. We, I think every human being longs to find somebody they can really trust, you know, really believe in, someone that that will not let them down, not betray them in any way. And so it's uh, when when we. Uh, do that, then of course, when we feel betrayed, then we become very angry, very, very uh, uh, indignant, because our our kind of openness, our trust has been, has uh, sometimes it's been taken advantage of. Sometimes various gurus and that have exploited through their ability to influence and. And impress people through their charismatic abilities to to uh, exploit and use people in a, in a very uh, unskillful way. Or sometimes it's just that that uh, uh, people have a lot of faith, and and then they then they then when they get closer to the teacher, uh, then then they see that the teacher isn't quite as perfect as they'd imagine, then they then they become disillusioned. So if you live with me closely Remember, on this retreat, I'm. Uh, this is a special situation. Sitting on this seat, and you're all quiet, and everything's under control, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But the point is to learn to to find the direction, and and then you you must walk that path yourself. You know, as we call. You know, to be realized individually by the wise. It's not a not to follow the leader, or to uh, you know, it's not a Pied Piper type of of uh, uh, outfit that we're uh, encouraging. But you know, point to the direction, and whether you go there or not, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't push you. You've got to to put forth the effort yourself. (coughs) And also not let what happens on the way uh, be be, uh, an obstruction for you. So you might have many difficult, uh, you know, obstacles to overcome, disappointments and disillusionments with, with the conventions, with teachers, with other Buddhists, with with yourself and and uh, all that, but but then once you have a confidence in the direction, no matter even if you mess it up and forget all about it, there'll be a point in your life when you'll remember it. You keep then start again and keep going in that direction, even if you, you know, it's not a matter of uh, that. Even if you forget or give up and and that that it's it's you know it's lost, but it's a matter of remembering and then then keep keep going in that direction and so it doesn't depend on uh, the teacher or the even the conventions you know how 
how they'll last or or change or whatever. Well, the important thing is to to have that insight into the the middle way. That's why Buddha Dhamma Sangha is the refuge rather than uh, than a teacher. Well, not in Theravada. They're very it's very clear that there's no kind of we don't take refuge in teachers and and uh, we're not uh, that's not that's not the uh, encouraged but to take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. For me, the Buddha always has the I, uh, you know, in many schools of Buddhism, they say, "Well, Buddha's too high up," and so they have, they have various other uh, kind of bodhisattvas and that that they, that people feel more my main affinities with, various like uh, female goddesses and or various uh, bodhisattva ideals that that some people find more. Uh, Kind of interest or faith in than than the Buddha, and that you know that those are are various techniques and and uh, and uh, skillful means that can be used to to keep pointing in the right direction, so that you're not you, one has to work from from where you are. You know, you have to know where you are, and so it's. Uh, and and what what inspires you and what what you have your faith in you can't just do it like somebody else like like you just can't faith is something that happens it's not something that you can make happen so I remember my mother she was very upset when I became a monk because she she she's a she was a Christian, and she she says, "Why don't you have any faith in Christianity? Why can't you become a monk in the Catholic Church?" I said, "I don't have any faith in it." And, but she did. She had enormous faith. So, so uh, for her, that never never was a problem. But for me, I never ha- I never really nothing ever really resonated that much. Why I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. It's not the fault of Christianity either. It's just the way it is, isn't it? So something didn't. Nothing happened to to have that experience where you really want to give your life to it. Where with Buddhism it did. And I don't. Still don't know why, because I I had uh, a pleasant enough experience with Christianity. It wasn't, uh, you know, my memories. Uh, as a child of going to church and all the rest, quite pleasant. And so it's not, not because of a, a terrible experience or anything, else, but it's a matter of faith. You have, I, where your faith is, what, 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 what is it that you really give yourself to? What is it that, that, that resonates in your heart that you really uh, you know, you can really trust. And how can I say that it should be Buddhism? <laughs> it's, that's, not, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it works. So, how one's, how one, what, why that is, it's just, it, let me say, it's karma, isn't it? Individual karma. That's one, you know. That's a good enough explanation. We don't need to know why, but that we, we know that that this is this is how I feel. This is what I this is what I trust. This is what I uh, want to do. Also, I found in in uh, I remember. I started becoming interested in Buddhism through Zen Buddhism. So, so first I read, uh, I read uh, D.T. Suzuki's books, 
and uh, and then Alan Watt uh, had become quite a popular or bestseller in the, in the United States in about 1956 or so. So it was. Uh, I read that and I really, you know, found it incredibly inspiring. I read it. I don't know how many times. And D. T. Suzuki. And there weren't very many books available in English. And then as I began, uh, began to know more about Buddhism, and I became a little more arrogant and felt I, I understood it, and then I would read Alan Watts and I'd be quite critical, you know. And then, and then Alan Watts' life was not uh, impeccable. <laughs> and so there used to be stories about Alan Watts' behavior, and, and a lot of thought he was an egomaniac. And, and so, then I became, you know, influenced by that, and, and I became very critical of Alan Watts, and and uh, and in that criticism, I just, you know, dismissed everything, his books and whatnot, and and you know, out of my own kind of sense of self-righteousness, and I know better, and I'm not like that. So there is, you know, in in, in when you're living a religious life, where you're on a spiritual path, you can become, you know, quite arrogant. And, uh, and, and a kind of, uh, you know, uh, snootiness. You, know, you think you're, you know, and then you can look down on maybe people who, uh, who, who once you admired because you think you're much more advanced, much better than they are. But in the, uh, then in the uh, the reason why I, be, I I became Theravada monk was merely because I happened to be in Southeast Asia. It wasn't because I had uh, you know uh, insights into that Theravada was the way and and then wasn't. It wasn't anything. It just happened to be convenient. And uh, so and 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 I didn't have a very good view of Theravada. When a lot of of uh, the Zen literature and Aldous Huxley, you know, they kind of dismissed Theravada as an inferior school. And I think uh, Aldous Huxley, in one of his books, even said it hasn't produced any enlightened masters since the Buddha. So I remember, so I remember uh, thinking, well, I'm not going to bother with that one. <laughs> and then, and then, no use bothering with the Theravada. And then I found myself living in. Southeast Asia, and then, uh, and then, then I went on a holiday to Thailand and Cambodia, and I thought, oh, I really like, the, you know, these orange robes and these monks and these temples, and and I like, you know, I quite fell in love with Thailand, and and uh, so I, be I began to think, well, maybe, you know, uh, Aldous Huxley's got it wrong. <laughs> might might be more. To <laughs> Then I noticed when I when I went to was when I stayed with Ajahn Chah after a few years, you know, I felt I was fully convinced that Ajahn Chah was the the best monk. He had it right, and so uh, I became quite attached to to Ajahn Chah. And and then we were, very, we're you know we were in a very strict with Abhinay was very strict and. And uh, this forest tradition in Northeast Thailand is greatly admired, and and you kind of, you know, in Thailand it, it gives you if you, they know you're a forest monk, they you get this kind of almost you know this adulation, and uh, so that that this uh, you know I felt well I really you know I belong to really a, you know really top-notch order of monks. And <laughs> And we're we're strict with the vinna. We don't we don't do the things that other monks do. So, so in this kind of you become kind of snooty and feel you're, you know, you, you somehow you you have a kind of like pride and like you belong to to the best outfit. And um, this kind of uh, arrogance can can take over the mind through be, through being moral, isn't it? Through to being strict on, on the moral, on, with moral precepts, 
and uh, and being a, a dedicated meditator. You, we say we are practicers. We're not just blind Buddhists who just follow anything or just you know do just give dana and and light incense sticks. But we practice. <laughs> so then you get, you get a kind of supercilious air about you, and you kind of look at the the monasteries in the town and the monks there, and you don't know whether you should <laughs> speak to them or not. <laughs> so these are the traps, you know, of of, a, of attachment. But remember, the Buddhist the direction is always aimed at seeing attachment, you know, through mindfulness of the here of here and now, and and uh, and so. Uh, you you know through that emphasis on uh, mindfulness of attachment to desire, the four noble truths. Then you began to be aware that you know what a silly little snob you've become, or or you find yourself getting very upset because uh, somebody said that there's a better teacher than Ajahn Shah. <laughs> I remember somebody came to Wat Papo one time and said. Oh, Ajahn Shah, you know, nothing. There's a much better one somewhere else. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that really made me angry. I, was <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I didn't even want to know. I just immediately reacted with denial. You know, and felt and wanted this guy to leave, you know, get out of my monastery. It was an emotional reaction, you see, of threatening my... my, my Dependency, my attachment to I had you know that when your your ego wants to be have the best you know so you, you want to feel that you're with the best and your outfit's the best and that you're uh, you're doing it right and then if you hear somebody is better it makes you well, it couldn't be couldn't be uh, and, and then it does work in your mind. Maybe well, wonder if they are better, you know. But you don't want to entertain that. But the any, any but then the emphasis on mindfulness. You observe this, the suffering that you're going through, because that being, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, arrogant, supercilious, snooty, and that is that that is, when you really look at those mental states, they're very unpleasant. You know, as experience in the present, and as I really looked at it when when I was in these states, and 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 the, it's a very unpleasant state of mind to think that to to be defensive, to be angry when somebody says something. I know better, teacher. Your teacher's not as good as my teacher, and then you get all upset. That's suffering, and then you you find that you you become kind of snobbish, and then you you look down on others. Is that is that a, a happy, peaceful state to be snobbish and look down on others? If you really examine these, then you realize it, it, it's dukkha to be attached to those those opinions, those mental states. So just by by observing, you know, and 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 meditating on on what you're feeling, you have to admit, you know, what you're feeling, not not judge it, but be willing to feel it, feeling that, that you're somehow better than somebody else. What does that really feel like? You know, and, it, uh, and to me, it's a very unpleasant feeling, not to mention if you feel inferior. You know, if you, I'm not as good as you. That's obviously, but, but sometimes we think that when we feel better than somebody else, that that, that must feel good, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel good. And then you get into this, and then the idealism, the being totally fair and democratic, is that we're all the same. You know, we're all equal, and uh, nobody's better or worse or superior, inferior than anyone else. This is, this is the, this is how it should be. And so the ideal may be like us brought up in the states, so we're very. You know the ideal of an American is is this egalitarian one. So, but then you know, even though you you 
you, you, your ideal is that we're all equal. There's no difference. Men, women, everybody, all races, everybody. That's not always the way you actually feel, isn't it? That's an ideal, but, you, but in regards to how you're actually feeling, is oftentimes you're feeling inferior or superior. How many people do you feel really, you know, on the level of uh, that you're, you're totally equal? And I mean, it, it's an idea, a nice idea, and it, it's an ideal. But in terms of experience, what is it like? And and so I noticed, like in the, in the United States, with uh, with its egalitarian idealism, that Americans are never very confident about because they don't know they don't know you know they they, they about what to do in cases of uh, hierarchical structures and that you just you just feel you don't you, so you get very competitive and there's this emphasis to all kind of be better than somebody else, you know, to prove that you're a winner or that you can do it better or that, or the fear that you're not, you're, you're, you're going to be a loser, you're going to uh, prove that you're, you're just an inferior kind of being. And so there's this, this, this kind of anxiety always around, you know, the ideal of, ego- of equality, but then the, the realities of emotion, which are never equal. And the sense of yourself as a person, nobody has the same, exactly the same sense. Maybe you, maybe if you're Americans, you have all the, the same ideals, but the, the realities of what you're feeling and experiencing and character are all unequal, aren't they? They're all different. So this awareness then allows this sense of, uh, us to, to tune in to what we're feeling and we're not comparing, you know, it's not, a, it's not a judgment. So I'm not saying what I'm feeling is, uh, is, is uh, I shouldn't be feeling, or that, that it isn't as good as what you're feeling, or I feel, what I feel is better than what you're feeling. <laughs> it's just feeling is like this. When you feel that you're, you're greatly superior, it feels like this. When you feel you're, you're inferior to somebody else, then it feels like this. And that which is aware, see, is, is really the, what is equal in all of us, the awareness. Because th- this awareness, this purity of awareness and attention isn't, isn't a personal ability. It's the same in all of us. It's purity that, that, that unites us. In which when when you know that's not there's not more in me and, and less in anyone else. So it's a matter of awakening, isn't it, to to be able to 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 really trust in our ability to be mindful and and use wisdom in our lives. Then we can see these these things that we we belong to strict conventions or whatever, and and uh, we get attached to teachers and we we form views and opinions. But if we're really going in the right direction, we eventually see the the suffering that comes through attachment. That's why the this direction is going in the right direction. Is, is important rather than than the convention or the teacher. Also recognize that 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 conventions are, or that religious conventions all have their their advantages and disadvantages. That none of them are perfect. You know, there's, there's nothing, you'll never find any religious convention that would just, you know, really, uh, unless you're, you're totally committed to it with blind faith, but in any, any religious group or any convention, there's always something, you know, clumsy or you don't agree with it or 
or it's uh, it's uh, you know you don't particularly like this part of it or this side of it and and so like in Theravada we do have you know it's a convention that that in terms of the Western world has a lot uh, of things that 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 you can criticize <laughs> so it's uh, you know it's it's not not uh, and then we say you, should, you know. You know, about Theravada, and we'll, we'll get very defensive, you know, wanted to defend everything and justify it. But also, you have to admit that, that conventions have limitations, and, and, uh, and, and that, that's the nature of conventions. They're not perfect, they're not ideals. So, then the, then the going in the right direction is, is learning how to use the convention. Mind, for mindfulness, not for attachment. So this is like me with the, using the Theravada convention or the the forest Thai forest tradition convention and all that. It's it's uh, it's because uh, learning to use it mindfully, not because uh, you know I like everything in it and I agree totally and and and. Uh, and and uh, think that it's, abs- it's the perfect way, and better than any other. But it's what it's the convention I've chosen to use. So so it's the one uh, that you accept that I accept with with all its uh, advantages and disadvantages. Because in the conventional world, every all conventions are that way. They have advantages and disadvantages. So we learn from this, even the even the, the the things that I don't particularly like in Theravada, I've learned from. Because it's not a matter of me liking them, but and and of, of me I kind of you know nothing in Theravada is is based on immorality, or you know or intentional cruelty or anything like that. Uh, so it's it's we're not you know you're not you're not asked to commit immoral acts or encouraged towards kind of violent uh, activities. But uh, the the thing you know so from various and people interpret conventions in various ways. So I remember that. With uh, like we learned how to keep the Vinaya in a certain way in Ajahn Chah's monastery in Thailand, and um, that was the standard uh, of Vinaya that, that that everybody agreed to in Thailand. So then, uh, as Westerners started increasing in the Sangha, then then they started getting critical of some of the ways that they they keep the Vinaya. In, in Wat Bapong, because uh, Westerners were educated, and they start reading the Vinaya, and then they then they form opinions about what this rule really meant, and then they they'd feel that the way it was being kept wasn't what the Buddha really meant. That the real interpretation is is this, and not the way we're doing it. And then they get into this purest mode, you know, like we want to keep it exactly like the Buddha said in India 2,500 years ago, and, and, and so, you know, when this way that Thais are doing it isn't, isn't right. So you get, in, you get into this, this state of mind where you, you want to do it, you know, this, this kind of purity, uh, wanting the pure and the, the accurate and the, the original. So we, we used to go around with this, you know, trying to, you know, you know, I remember one monk in Thailand, the, the, the monks shave off their eyebrows. See, I don't have any eyebrows. And in uh, Burma, Sri Lanka, that they, they keep their eyebrows. It's not against the Vinaya to have eyebrows. But in Thailand, you see, they shaved off their eyebrows uh, when they were fighting the Burmese. So there is some, some kind of thing that, so that the they would know the uh, difference between Thai monks and Burmese monks. So, and then after that, 
they never allowed them to grow their eyebrows back. So, so if I should go to Thailand with eyebrows, that would upset a lot of people. Still, because people that are attached to the Thai way of doing things, and so and so, some of them. I remember one monk was very keen on. Well, let's let's grow our eyebrows, because it's not against the Vinaya, and it's just a and say it's just a Thai custom. And then then I, you know, they, they justified it according to to the scripture and so <laughs> forth, which is fair enough. But then you look at and you contemplate it. Is it a is it really an issue that you want to, is, is it very important, you know, and is it, you want to make an issue of this, you know, and, and, and in, in Thailand this is the way they do it, and this is what our strong connections are with, with this forest tradition, and, uh, and so I thought, no, no, not important enough, you know, to, to, uh, to insist on, on, on us Western monks having eyebrows. In a, in a, which would create a, you know, create a lot of problems with people over something that's quite trivial, as far as I'm concerned. So I, I look. <laughs> so I mean, even though it might not go along with the pure interpretation uh, in the Vinaya, it's not wrong. The Buddha said you couldn't shave off your eyebrows. There's no rule against it. So you're not like breaking a rule, and, and so you, you're you're not you're learning not to make problems around things that that aren't that important, or or that oftentimes are around cultural attitudes. So Vinaya adapts itself also to to the cultural situation. So a lot of the Thai adaptations of Vinaya were because of the Thai culture. So you've got to allow for that, you know, 2,500 years. And how can, and a lot of the rules in the Vinaya, you know, absolutely make no sense to anyone. Because they were about things that no longer happen, you know. I remember the one about, about so many, uh, so much black wool and white wool of a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> That you can use for a, for some kind of rug. Nobody knows what this is. What this <laughs> rug is. But we still recite this rule every party boca day. You know. So these are the things you know that oftentimes uh, uh, utilitarian, practical-minded Westerners feel uh, irritated by and, and very critical of. But in the long run, it's you know they're you know they're harmless. Uh, and and they're not, and and then, you know, it's not a matter of, of me, uh, sorting out the Thai tradition or me, uh, purifying the Theravada tradition in Britain, but in, in in using the convention for mindfulness rather than than uh, making a big thing about, the convention itself. So, in this way, you know, one learns how to use this. Uh, so you are aware of what you're, you're because the opinions, your arrogance, oftentimes these are, are seem very right. Like sometimes you do feel, you know, I'm right, and 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 because I'm right, I've got to stand up for for my righteousness. And I and because I feel you're wrong. You know, I've got to really, you know, emphasize that I'm right and you're wrong, and I can't betray my principles. And then I look at that feeling in my mind when I'm into being self-righteous. That's suffering. <laughs> being attached to my to the sense that I'm right. That's suffering to me. That's a very unpleasant mental state to be into. So through that you, you, you know, you learn to, to, to realize a letting go, non-attachment, doesn't mean you, you throw away your principles, but that attachment to principles, ideals, uh, right views, uh, and, and ideals of purity, uh, the problem is always in the attachment out of ignorance. So you find, you know, people that 
some of the most dangerous people are people who are highly principled and attached to it <laughs> because they they become arrogant and inflexible they, and they don't even know they're suffering so you can see in the in the in the in the in the realities of our humanity is it's learning to you know it's not taking sides or 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 trying to get it perfect and 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 clinging to the highest ideals but in developing awareness around how things actually are what is attachment to an ideal like as experience for example if if i have very high standards for myself you know very high standards and principles and i'm attached to that then then all I ever do is end up criticizing myself because I'm never as good as I should be. At least I don't seem to. Because I'm comparing the realities of a situation of having a flesh and blood body with nerve endings and, and karma and all the rest with a, with a static ideal which doesn't have any of that. And ideals don't have nerves, they don't have blood, they don't have knees. <laughs> they don't get hungry. Ideals don't have to go to the toilet. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, that's why they're perfect. You know, they, they just, you know, they're not, they don't have any of the, the uh, things that, um, that, that we have to deal with in, in, in the flow of experience. So recognize this, that we, the ideal then is the direction, it's like the guiding star. And, and the high principles and standards are, you know, beautiful and right and good and true and all that, not to, to diminish or, or uh, uh, deny that, but recognize that it's, that it's that direction we go, we, we try to walk in that direction. But in that walking, we also have to know where we are with the realities of the terrain, uh, the weather, the conditions, which are not ideal. <coughs> so wisdom is... is, is uh, it's it's easy enough. All of us know how life should be, according you know to ideals. But but not many people are really aware of how life is as experience, the way it is. So recognizing the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, you're, the Buddha knows the way it is. He's not he's not telling you how everything should be, is it? The, his emphasis on the four noble truths on the on investigating, understanding the experience of suffering, that's not an ideal at all. It's not idealistic. That's very pragmatic, isn't it? So, then you have to awaken to, to look at your own suffering and experience of suffering. And it's not just suffering like losing your best friend, or something, but it's the suffering of, of thinking you're better than somebody else. Well, don't believe me, you know, that this is suffering, but if, when you do have these feelings, you know, it's to really contemplate them. Attachment to, to arrogance or to high standards. What is, what is it? And you have to find out for yourself if, if you, what, what dukkha really is as experience rather than defined uh, intellectually defined, you know, the the, uh, the suffering isn't, you know, I can tell you, but that's not the point. It's to to recognize it, to open, to like understand the insight in the first noble truth is to understand dukkha. I mean, to understand something, you have to accept something before you can understand it. I mean, you can't understand something you're always trying to get rid of, can you? You're just you're, you're, 
your reaction is, is suffering is to get away from it, run away, get out of here. You can't understand it if you're always trying to, to uh, blame it on somebody or, or get away from it or deny it. So it means that you, you, have to, you, you, you embrace it. You, 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 you investigate. You stand under suffering. You take it under. What is it? What does it feel like? What do I really feel like? And then you become aware of the of the aching heart, or the fears, or the the uh, despair, or the grief, or the the resentment, and jealousies, as they happen to, as you you know, not not as possibilities, but as they as you're experiencing them, because your attention say. Meditation is on the body, on the on the mind, in the present. So I find when I get um, obsessed with things, and you know, I'm get get into kind of a things. Just you know, I find I'm very upset or very obsessed with something. I, I ask, what am what am I attached to? That I'm so obsessed or upset by this. And of course, you know, the, you say, it's because this person upset me. That's not it. Why, why am I upset because that person said this or did this? And then, I, then I can start kind of, I can, I, can, I can contemplate it, think about it, and see that, that I, that, uh, because I, you know, uh, I, can, I can analyze it, but I'm understanding it too at the same time. So I'm, 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 I'm experiencing this, this feeling of being upset. And then I begin to recognize it, attachment to some kind of desire. Fear, being, feel, feeling threatened or Resentment. I used to feel, you know, I used to suffer a lot from feeling that I people misunderstood. And then I think, so I used to contemplate, you know, when, when I felt I was misunderstood, I used to feel quite hurt and indignant. And then, then I started contemplating. I'm attached to the idea that people should understand me. <laughs> You know, that, that I, I'm kind of demanding everybody should, you know, everybody should understand me. <coughs> Why should they? They misunderstand. <laughs> but it's, uh, these, these, you begin to see, you know, how, uh, how, how, uh, how we, we do see ourselves as, you know, the li- life should be fair. People should respect us. People should understand us. We should be, uh, our, our feelings should be taken into account. Uh, you know, these are these are the should. This is what it should be, and then then when when it, this doesn't happen, then we feel uh, angry, upset, resentful, indignant. But when you contemplate experience, it should be is one thing, but the way it is is like this. People don't always understand. Why should they? Who am I that you know the world should spend its time trying to understand me? And <laughs> and respect me, you know. Why should anyone respect me? Who am I that you know? You know, I, I, you know, I want. You know, you should, and you should be considerate of my feelings. So you, you see, oftentimes we have these demands and expectations, and then we're always feeling let down or disappointed because. When, when this doesn't happen, we feel betrayed or let down by life or by people or situations. And it's that these are all the, the dukkha of attachment that we can learn from and understand from. So I offer this as a reflection. <laughs> <laughs>